You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States or go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the old Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully, everybody is surviving quarantine. I know that uh, without getting into too much detail, it is frustrating. It is, it's almost like being in jail because my kids aren't going to school. My wife is working from home. So I love my family, but now we are on top of each other 24 hours a day. Well, not 24 hours a day, right? I mean, the hours that we are awake. Luckily, we've had some nice days, a couple nice days in a row, and we've had the ability to get outside. And even, it's crazy, because the second the kids wake up, they start fighting with each other. And... It, then they get frustrated with each other. I get frustrated with them. And then it's just a, you know, any any parent who's been around their kids when they're acting rowdy, uh, there's a fuse. And I, I am kind of known for not getting mad at a lot of things. Like it really, really takes a while for me to get mad. But <laughs> they have pushed all the right buttons in the last couple days, and I am trying my best to uh, redirect. I'm trying to uh, my best to keep them occupied. But every once in a while, the uh, the old 1950s dad steps into the picture and he starts yelling and screaming. <laughs> I threw a shoe yesterday. Not proud of it, but you know how you know how it is. <laughs> so that's how my quarantine is going. But Today, we have a really awesome episode. We're going to be talking with Brian Doss, and Brian is from Indiana, and he grew up hunting public land, but over the years, he got really frustrated with it. He wasn't seeing the deer that he wanted. He was getting bumped by other hunters all the time, and he just hated it. He kind of moved away from public. He started leasing ground, hunting small chunks of private, and he started missing something. And he kind of realized that he had it made on public ground and he could do whatever he wanted. He could, uh, you know, he could hunt where he wanted. He could stay as late as he wanted. He could go in. He didn't have to worry about anything because as we all know, public ground is public ground and you you can hunt whatever kind of hunt you want to hunt on public ground. And so he kind of had a, 
he, he kind of rethought everything and uh, he kind of fell in love with it again. And that's what this episode is about. Now, before we get into this episode, we do got we do have to do a commercial, and that is with our new partner, The Average Conservationist. Now, if you guys haven't gone to their website, theaverageconservationist.com, and taken a look at all their apparel, uh, we have sweatshirts, we have some kick-ass hats. I'm telling you, the uh, they have a, it's called the fixed hat, it's camo, they have the logo hat, it's kind of uh, a strap back. Dude, these, these hats are kick-ass. Their logo is kick-ass. They have some really awesome designs on their t-shirts. But the best part about this, even after you take a look and say, hey, those are some cool shirts, the best part about everything that this company does is they donate 10% of all of their earnings to conservation efforts. So think about that. You buy a hat from them, in a way, you're donating part of that to conservation. And uh, I've talked with Marcus, with, uh, his name's Marcus Ewing, he's the owner. Look for an Average Conservationist podcast to drop really soon. So, there's that. Commercial's over. Let's just get right into today's, I guess we're going to call it a public land BS session with Brian Doss. All right, on the phone with me now, Mr. Brian Doss. Brian, how you doing, man? Good, good. How you doing, Dan? Can't complain, man. Uh, finally, the sun is out in Iowa, and it's going to be one of those days that, I'll be honest, I've needed here uh, lately with quarantine 2020 in place, you know. I needed to get my kids outside and basically run them like I'm breaking a horse today, and I just want to get them tired <laughs> so that at about 7 o'clock they want to go to bed. Absolutely. I can, I could uh, definitely relate. Our house has never been stayed so messy consistently. Oh my God. You just, you don't appreciate school until you have to clean your house every day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We cleaned our house and it's not my, my two older kids who make the mess. It is my youngest boy who is oh, yeah. a tornado. The dude destroys. Everything comes out and goes, it, and just wherever it lays, it lays. Absolutely, he tra- <laughs> he he trashes the house. I mean, he throws toys, and obviously, you can't communicate with a two-year-old. Okay, it's time to pick up toys and just go. You know, like I'm expecting this two-year-old to be like, "Yes, father, I will clean up the house." And is there anything else you would like me to do afterwards? And like, <laughs> so sure. he, he just runs. He runs around and uh, you know basically eats and poops still. So there's that. So today, today's topic is about public land and back in the day, you used to hate it. Uh, from, from the information that you've uh, sent me, you used to hate public land. And since then, uh, I feel like you've gone through a transformation to falling, kind of falling in love with it. And we're going to cover all of that today, but, uh, before we get into today's like main meat and potatoes topic why don't you tell everybody what you do for a living and where you live uh, i live in indianapolis indiana and uh i'm a general contractor kind of more on the commercial commercial construction side gotcha do, does uh-huh. your uh does your uh i guess do you have a uh what's what i'm looking for a specialty uh Doors, frames, and hardware, like commercial doors and hardware predominantly. Okay. So we specialize in mostly, which is what's interesting is although we're dealing with a fair amount of layoffs and such, um, kind of in some of the companies we directly work with, 
we haven't felt it yet with the, the COVID situation just because we predominantly, our customers are uh, basically healthcare and schooling. Gotcha. And uh, when you, you know, when you have all that, it's right now they're gearing up because they're just, you know, the fear of everything going on. So, yeah. Yep. So your, your company goes in or your crew goes in or, um, you know, uh, the people that you hire go in and pretty much just install doors all day long. Kind of, kind of. We, we, we also distribute, uh, partner up with a bunch of different large GCs throughout the greater Indianapolis area and kind of all of Indiana at this point. And we'll not only, uh, sell, you know, the product, we actually do the full install as well. Okay. Uh, but we work with a lot of the bigger outfits throughout and, uh, as they, you know, we just act as a subcontractor of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, um, can remember I got laid off from a job, oh, somewhere around 2010 or maybe before that. I can't remember. I was, I've, other than this last layoff, I've been laid off two other times where, uh, you know, the business that I was currently working in decided not to, you know, they were going through a low spot. They cut off, you know, they cut some employees and I happened to be, uh, in one of those, but I had a guy who my dad knew owned his own business where he all he did was install windows and not in yeah. ho- in homes but commercial buildings so one summer all i did was take out windows put windows back in take them out put them back in and most <laughs> most of the time they were in like uh college type like not necessarily right. dorm rooms, but those, those kind of buildings, multifamily type buildings, yeah, yeah, multiple levels, um, and, or office buildings, um, or like building remodels that were maybe like, a, a machine shed at one time, but then they got, mm-hmm. they got changed into something else. And, uh, it just, that's what we did. We went and we just took windows out, put windows in all day long, yep. multiple days. So I know it gets kind of redundant. It's funny. I moved into this, uh, kind of this end of the industry and it's like so specialized that you don't even realize it but then all the while i'm like man all i really touch is doors frames and hardware (laughs) it's like oh yeah so i tell you a lot more than you want to know about a door closer yeah so i'm 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 sure that you can appreciate uh when a, a new or unique job or a new product comes out that something that you've never like like a door that you've never had to uh work with before and that's what they want and you're like oh well oh this is cool i gotta do the research on it It, definitely i came from being a commercial project manager to where i was you know kind of in charge of the whole project and then uh you had an opportunity to join the company that i directly work with now and going from having my hands on in so many different you know ends of entities of construction and and building to now just being one specialized part I'm, i'm itching for any opportunity to kind of get out of just the meat and potatoes are what we do yeah absolutely absolutely all right so today's topic is going to be how you used to hate public land now you love it but let's talk about when when you started hunting how old were you when you when you got into hunting i've really been hunting my entire life between different animals you know cutting cutting my teeth on trying to shoot squirrels I, i will i will sadly admit i was probably the world's worst hunter for years and years i think i missed more deer than i can even imagine and uh and squirrels and everything alike my dad and my grandpa um kind of groomed me and raised me into hunting they that was their 
uh, you know, their kind of love for it. And naturally, much like I'm sure your, your young boy will, you just, you fall in love with the outdoors. And I just became the most impatient world's worst hunter, you know, for years and years. But I, I would say I truly started chasing deer, uh, or at least the first time I hunted by myself would have been between 12 and 13 years old. Okay. So did you have a mentor, like a, a, a father or an uncle who got you into it? Do you, do you come from a hunting family? I do. I do. It was uh, both my dad and my grandpa. I, I would, my grandpa really was the one that, that kind of instilled the passion, I believe, in me. Uh, just because that was our time together. And, uh, and, and that kind of kind of raised me into it, yes. Gotcha. So you started off with small game like uh, squirrels and rabbits and whatnot? Yep, yep. We were running dogs and squirrels and rabbits, and uh, you know, and then it became and really about everything. I'd go out and try to shoot coyotes and call in all kinds of just, just different random animals. As I, I'd kept the when you had those old cassette player with the wired out out uh, you know predator calls, I'd have that thing immediately turn it on and crank it to a full bore. <laughs> just wonder why nothing would ever come to me. <laughs> I have. And it's funny when you don't before YouTube and, and before some of the, the different things you could read a, a field and stream magazine and think you know all there is to know and I just God I'd scare every every animal out of the woods probably. Hey, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you a story about a cassette uh, predator call. Okay, okay. I, and I'm sure I've told this before at some point. I I hope I have because it's a great story. But when I was in college, I had to help. Uh, me and my buddy helped a girl move out of her dorm room into uh, an apartment. And her dad had dropped off a box full of her old cassette tapes. I think that they were just trying to get out of the house. Uh, and back then it was still everybody had CDs. It was the birth kind of of Napster. So everybody was downloading their music. And I remember looking into her box of cassette tapes and on the very top there was a let's see there was a a rabbit distress predator call right you know just like like over and over and over all right so i go are you gonna use this are you gonna use this and she's (laughs) like uh no you can have it so i took that uh i took that tape and later that night there was a huge huge party right well so my buddy had a house it went frat house frat house my buddy's house frat house so he his was (laughs) the only non-frat house on this this street like this row this block and it was during their rush week where they would uh i guess everybody starts to you know want to join a frat so they had these huge parties these frats would so me and my buddy i had this cassette tape and i go hey let's just walk through this party you know we're not invited but there's so many people that we could you know we could get what go right yeah blend right in so we walk in and i had this tape in my pocket and we're looking around and i see that their stereo system is in a closet and in this closet there was a window and and so they had the stereo system yeah so i think you know where this is going so they had the stereo system in the closet and the speakers were outside of the outside of the closet so i i slowly back in shut the door behind me lock and this closet had a lock on it (laughs) 
I locked the closet. I put in the rabbit distress call, cranked it, and jumped out the window of this frat house. And the 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 place went crazy, like just <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, blow, blowing through the speakers. Right, I cranked it, and and then I kind of walked back around into the party. A couple people saw me, but they thought it was funny. I walked back just to see these, these guys' reaction, and. Oh, yeah. They were, they were like, what's going on? This party, you know, and all the girls, of course, were like, this party sucks. What's going on? Let's leave. And they're like, no, let's fix it. You know, they were all just like, no, no just oh, wait, sure. just wait. And so me and my buddy, we were just laughing our asses off. The cops showed up and they're like, we have reports of a woman screaming. <laughs> and I, oh, yeah. and, and, uh, so I ended, um, so we kind of just backed out of the party and they eventually couldn't get in. They couldn't find the key to get into that room, so they had to cut the cords to the speakers. Oh, that's brutal. Oh, they were so pissed off, and it was one of the greatest moments of my college, like my college career. I I still think about the looks on these guys' faces every day. Oh, man. (sighs) Back in the day. Anyway, sorry to take over the podcast with that story, but I had a little flare-up of a memory of the the predator calls and (laughs) – so yeah. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> so you uh you had a, you had some mentors, right, growing up, got getting yeah. getting into hunting. When did you start to get into let's say deer hunting or turkey hunting or or bigger game? Well, mostly right about my teenage years. Okay. Uh, and I started hunting kind of by myself right around 13 and it just grew and grew every year from then, kind of progressively until, you know, I played I grew up wrestling and playing football so naturally as you get into high school it takes more there's more of a time commitment right in those the thick of the months of october and november so that had a little bit of an effect but i would say right in uh, right as i became more and more of a teenager gotcha. i just got you know really really in the thick of it okay all right um and then did you cannonball into it at that point i mean did you oh yeah did you pick it, it was, hunting over sports thing. yeah i eh, so so yeah. I, I was pretty ate up with sports, but it was kind of, you know, wrestling that went in on Saturday and we were right to the woods for yeah. Saturday evening, you know, yeah. and then that next Sunday morning and then Sunday evening and just kind of weekend warrior to the best we could. Yeah. I hear you. I've never actually lived directly on property. So you know, every, everything we ever did was either staying at my grandparents or, you know, an hour to an hour and a half. And, and it can, continues like that. It's just, you know, I'm behind the wheel. Yeah. So, so then one, once high school was over, um, did you go to college? I I started college and then my wife got pregnant. Okay. So I'm 33 and I have a 13 year old and uh, my wife and I just we never really looked back. Yeah. She continued in college and I just joined the workforce. Yeah. There's there's a part of me that envies people who have kids early uh, for a, for a couple reasons. One, these my wife is opening the garage door right below my office. But anyway, uh, I, I envy people who have kids early. And that means that when they're 40, I have a, I have a couple buddies who, uh, you know, he got his girlfriend or at the, at the time, girlfriend, now wife pregnant in high school. And, uh, you know, they got, they have kids that are in college right now. So they're right. they're They have, uh, an empty we nest very similar yeah they have an empty have nest, nest at, and they're not even in their 40s yet 
and and i'm just like you lucky dogs like but he's but he's like dude i missed out of so many things in my 20s i kind of wish that i had missed out on a couple things in my 20s like all the drinking and dumb shit that i did and i was raising a kid (laughs) so that now i have a, a little bit um better thought process of going into life uh but you know it is what it is and so it, it's kind of it's kind of a little both in my end. It, so I am I'm very similar. When I turn forty and my wife turns forty, we will have a twenty year old and an eighteen year old perspective. And uh, it, it's you know you think like oh yeah I missed out. I, mean, I still did my fair share of dumb stuff and drinking and just being an obnoxious uh, you know twenty year old. But I almost it's almost like you don't really. I don't know. I won't say you don't appreciate what you have. You just don't even understand it when you're, you know, we were a year and a half out of high school and had our first, first uh, son. And it, now I actually have a six year old now too. Um, and she, you know, you enjoy the younger years a little bit. I, I've definitely enjoyed my younger years a little bit better. And I kind of laugh that I think if I had my daughter first, I would have been a much better and much easier father to my my two boys because i'm way harder on them than i am my daughter oh yeah yeah <laughs> they, they give me shit for it all the time they're like wait a minute you wouldn't let us do this and i'm like you, you got me again so your your two <laughs> your two oldest are boys correct and, so boy, then this boy Okay, so then this little flower comes several years later, right? And you're less like this little yeah. precious, precious girl. Man, it, it's almost the opposite. My daughter is a rough, like she's a firecracker. <laughs> she's a pepper man. She will, she'll, she questions everything, which I like, right? I mean, I don't like it right. now because she's questioning me, but I feel like that's going to translate older where, you know, this, oh, yeah a boy comes up to her and is like, Hey, why don't you come back to my place or whatever? And she'll be like, why, why, what, what? No, why? (laughs) Come on. So I want that to continue on in life, her being stubborn and bullheaded to the point where, you know, somebody will get sick of her. (laughs) Isn't it funny how you can have multiple children with the exact same parents and everything else and have such different personalities from one to the other. Yeah. It never ceases to amaze me with it within each of my kids. You know, my boys are complete polar opposites of each other. And you just think how in the world is that you just would have never known. Right. Right. Yeah. I I can see subtle different, you know, it's crazy. I can see big differences and I can see big similarities in, in all of them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they're there, but there's always one personality trait that really sticks out from, right. you know, from that individual that makes them who they are. And, uh, and then I, then I can even take a backward step and say, Hey, I see that trait in myself or I see it in my wife. My wife's a firecracker and that's why my daughter's a firecracker. But, uh, yeah. So kids, right. Have you, have you taken your, are, are your boys ate up with hunting like they you are? Ate up. Absolutely. And uh, what's what's kind of funny is now my middle child, to that point, he is 11, and he loves every bit of just the outdoors and everything else. And I I would say maybe I spoiled my older son hunting because I took him from youth seasons on and in, and and that's when you're sitting out there sweating in that early, uh, you know, I guess late September, but it was earlier for us, uh, our seasons, and just all the sweating and, and you, you get a kid in the stand and he just doesn't understand on an evening hunt. It's like, buddy, we, although we're here at two or three o'clock, we're going to, you know, before daylight savings time, you just need to relax for a little bit because it's not going to get too interesting until the last 30 to 15 minutes yeah. before dark. Yeah. I try to teach a kid that uh, they don't quite appreciate it, but 
they are in love with it now. He actually, my my older son, this this past season, it was his first opportunity to hunt um, by himself. And we kind of, and, and I say by himself that I kind of walked him through the process and he had the opportunity that my, my dad actually went out with us in the morning uh, and hunted the morning of opening firearm season and got him in the stand. They sat there for a little bit together. He got down, kind of still hunted his way around, got back to him and just gave him the kind of the trial run by himself. Cause although I think he was ready, it was just want to make sure that he really is. And then going into that evening, we had kind of changed locations a little bit and uh, he I actually said, hey, you know, here's a here's a def- defined stand that we had on this is on a small piece of private ground. And I watched him through binoculars, you know, about 50 yards away, get up. And I said, here's your pull roll. Here, you know, here's your ammo. You're going to load when you get in the stand and do just kind of the safety protocol. Go ahead and make sure you're tied off. And uh, he did all that well. Well, I'll be my younger son and I went down to a little double stand, maybe 100, 150 yards from him. And he's texting me not not 30 minutes into this, Dad, Dad, I see two, you know. And I'm like, well, shoot, you know, you go for it, buddy. So he he actually shot two back-to-back in his first time hunting by himself. And his story even gets better because he's texting me this. And all the while, my younger brother is hunting with us, too. And he's like, what in the heck is going on? Because we... We, I kind of grew up on walkie-talkies, but now we just do kind of a group text thing when we're all hunting together. And I'm like, well, you know, Bryce has shot a couple, and he's, he immediately calls me. And he's got it. You can just hear his voice. And never had shot a deer before. You know, he'd had the rush because he had missed a couple sitting with me and just didn't really appreciate it. And I'm telling him, hey, well, listen up, buddy. You know, Blake and I are going to keep hunting. You just, just relax. Stay where you're at. Remember where you shot him. You know, you're kind of going through all the protocol that you do with yourself when you shoot a deer. Yeah. Like, remember, remember the place. Remember right where it is. And we'll come find you before, you know, the last little bit before it gets dark. We'll see if we can't find him. But just keep hunting. Well, all the while, um, a little bit. Now, I think our opening morning was November 15th. So it was still really in the thick of it, of uh, getting good, you know, or towards kind of the Peter and out for at least Indiana of the wreck. So, you, you know, fast forward maybe couple hours to an hour and a half because hell he wasn't in the stand for 20 30 minutes and i hear just tearing off through the woods and i'm like okay i got my younger son like cap i'm like hey right behind us right behind us get ready and you could hear running and it was a doe just hauling ass well 15 steps or 15 yards behind her comes a pretty good puck actually running on behind her and i'm hey trying to get my damnedest to get it to stop well it wouldn't and there was a smaller buck behind it, even that. There was another little, what became a six-point. Yeah. And I, you know, they're just tearing, and they're going right to my older son's son's uh, kind of area. So I, just as quick as I could text, I could text Bryce, my, uh, you know, my, my oldest, that here comes a, a buck. I hear, Pow! And then he's calling me, he's like, Dad, I dropped him. <laughs> <laughs> just rolling up in there. So then at this point, my brother hadn't shot a deer at all this year, and he hunted pretty good and hard, and he'd been with me through all the others there, well, at least the big one um, that I'd shot earlier in the season and whatnot, and, and he's just like, damn it, stop shooting. He's <laughs> like, I haven't killed a deer yet. And, uh, yeah, Bryce, I, I walked up to him, and he was an absolute mess. Just couldn't have, you know, couldn't have made a, a more of a hunter out of him than I did that one uh, that morning. That's and, awesome. Or that, excuse me, that evening. 
he was he was all fired up. It's awesome where when you can get something like that happen, and it's it just solidifies things, right? They yeah. they don't they like going out and they like doing the hunting, but when there's that big moment, almost like at a key time, where someone is either going to, you know maybe fade off or, or be a casual hunter as opposed to mm-hmm. being like ate up a aggra- cannonballing into hunting. Right. There's this one moment where right. it like all the stars aligned, this buck runs out, he drops them. And now he's like, dude, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. And that's, that was when I walked up to him, uh, he just, it, he just comes kind of tearing through Briar and all to give me a hug and everything. And I, as soon as I, I gave him a hug and, and kind of looked back at him, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, Bryce, you know, did your heart get raised? He's like, oh, my gosh, Dad, I'm still shaking. He's like, oh, he's still shaking. So he gets the – and he he did drop the deer. It, it, he only shot it with a forty four, but it put it down pretty good. Yeah. So he, we walk over to it, and, I mean, he's just – just a ball, you know, just a mess. And I'm like, and this is the same kid he had missed to and had some pretty upsetting moments and sat through a lot of, you know, hot days with me uh, to the point to where he really kind of lost some interest. And just like you said, I mean, immediately just was right back. Just, you know, loves it. Now he wants to turkey hunt and he hadn't been out in the turkey woods with me yet. And uh, it's just full bore. Yeah. And it's just getting that heart race and, you know, getting to that, 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 feel that people don't really understand when they ask us how crazy we are for doing what we do and the love of it and i'm like guys if you felt you know one of those moments and or when you're all alone you're just looking around like could this just happen you know yeah and then i think everybody would love it yeah absolutely all right so let's uh let's talk about this public land thing right yeah um what what is what is the what was your hatred for public land before, you know, you had a, a change of change of views? I, I think it's my hatred towards it or my where I was turned off towards it always was the same stereotypical reasons that that everybody, you know, probably thinks or has milled around with. And the sense that I was like, oh, there's no big deer. And, and growing up, I grew up in a family of hunters that predominantly this is your stand this is where you go and this is what you do and not realizing why i'm sitting out here and i was the king of all they said i'm gonna sit all day and i'm gonna sit all day again and again to just the pit of misery you know when when there's no deer around because we've pushed them all out of there and done any number of things that have kind of steered it away so you know the handful of times that i grew up we would go to this we have hoosier national is a big one of our bigger bigger national forestries in indiana which i would compare it if you're like a missouri guy i went to Missouri for a year so i've done a lot of kind of onyx map scouting out there it's kind of similar like the mark twain forest just massive pieces of property yeah and uh hardwoods well you, you go out there with my grandpa and my dad who really didn't know any better or put that kind of maybe the the kind of crazy effort that i have into it so we just go sit on a ridge and nothing would ever happen or you'd see guys come busting by you you know and the, and and just never see deer and you almost or, or even the sign of deer you might see an occasional track but that was a big deal you right. know just to see some one-off little baby rub or just just a handful of tracks it was like oh you gotta sit right here and you sit the down tree or you know i'd carry my climber and just bump and make every crazy odd amount of noise and just 
and just lose all hope and heart for it before I even, you know, even got in a tree. So I think it was just an accumulation of that over the years that just, just kind of turned you away. And then you, and then you talk to others and like, Oh, I hunt public. And, and they're all doing the same thing coming right off these fire trails, doing what I had tried to, you know, it's the definition of insanity. Yeah. So that, that really is what turned me off. And, uh, you know, until just here recent, the last few years. So, so the, the chaos and the, mm-hmm. the lack of control that you had kind of turned you off on, on the public land. Yeah. Do you think that maybe your goals and expectations were higher than what the land could provide for you at that point? I do. I do. I think just the idea that there were, I was, you know, I had I've, I've hit the point where I, I have the opportunity to shoot a lot or to hunt a lot and spend a lot of time in the woods. So when you, when you can't hunt a lot, yeah, your goals and your aspirations become a lot higher. You know, you, now you want to shoot this particular class of deer, this age of deer, whatever that becomes or whatever that fits for you. And I was like, well, I'm not even going to see it here. So why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that made you mad or like upset. Yeah. Okay. All right. It just turned me off from it. Yeah. It would just turn me off to where I'd just fall in, fall so, away from it. So did you, at that point, were you trying to access public ground or did you, um, or, uh, yeah, private ground? I mean, did you say to yourself, well, yeah. I, I, I only want to hunt, uh, private now. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's, that's exactly how it was. All right. So did you, was it easy for you to find private ground to hunt? No, not at all. No, not at all. And, and I grew up uh, kind of when you, you revert back to talking about my grandpa and my dad and everything. Well, they had some opportunities that they didn't directly own private ground, but these are families that they, they had had relationships with. Well, they eventually sold off up about seven or eight years back from now. They had sold off to where I started leasing property and it gets a little expensive. Especially yeah. when you figure I'm just a one-off guy, so I can only lease in this case a little 80-acre parcel, and then want to hunt. You know, you, I want to hunt all the time because that's just my my passion, my obsession. To where all of a sudden I've pushed deer completely off of there, or it's just not. You know, you're sitting in the one spot every single day from, you know, and and that was all I had. That was it. Is either you're going to hunt this little 80-acre spot, or you're not going to hunt at all. Yeah. And that's when it opened my eyes back to public land. It's like you wanted you wanted to have the ability to hunt the public land style on private ground. Yep. But okay. it, it just was there was no need for it because yeah. it was such a small piece. My opportunity on private ground is just so small that it just there wasn't the need to yeah. get, you know, to be aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um and you know, I feel a lot of people if I had to guess, like my percent, the, the percentage of time that I spend on public ground is low, right? I mean, I'm here in Iowa, so mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily have access to um, to the amount of public ground that other people in other states have. But I'll tell you this. I grew up in a county that had, I'm not joking, probably under 500 acres or about 500 acres of public ground in the entire county, right? And that's spread out amongst different places. Maybe maybe more. Let's just say conservatively under 1,000 acres in one county, yeah, yeah. spread out all over the county. And so I learned how to knock on doors 
and I learned how to, um, you know, uh, talk to people and get access to private farms. Now, one thing that I've noticed is when I do hunt public, I love being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want and not have to That's ask. Exactly. Yeah. And not yep. have to ask anybody or really worry about another person. Like I'm not going to go set up a tree stand right next to a guy who's already hunting mm-hmm. there, but I can do whatever I want on it. Now, if I'm hunting a, on a couple other of the other private pieces, I have to now restrict my movement. If I know there's another guy out there, I can't go, you know, I can't go over there because I don't want to make them mad. I don't want to make, you know, I don't want to quote unquote mm-hmm. infringe on their little area. But like, mm-hmm. I, I completely get what you're saying where you, you want to hunt a certain style, but the private land kind of restricts you, especially if it's smaller acreage. Yeah. Yep. So then, so then how long did it take you like to basically stew in your own shit until you realized that, you know what? I think I had it good on public. You know, it's just kind of years. It, it just, it just developed slowly after years until this, these last two I've really hammered down to where this year, that's all I hunted with yeah. the exception of taking my kids out. And I think that's why he had the success he had had is because our little bit of a lease, uh, never stepped foot on it. Yeah. And I never stepped foot on it because with the opportunities on public, I had the idea that, Hey, I'm going to leave these 80 acres away. I take, I'm the, I'm kind of the rutcation type guy. Every year I take that first full week of November off, depending on how the days line somewhere around the November 7th, you know, key mark. I want to be right in the woods during, you know, that, that, keyed time uh, you know the thick of both season the thick of the rut and everything else so my goal was in the last couple of years to stay completely off my little bit of a lease because it can produce um, if left alone until that rut week and then I would just go out there with the, the right winds and the right way and everything else I did was just going to be an extremely aggressive hunt on public and whatever and, and if I pushed the deer if I didn't push the deer whatever I was going to do I was going to find them and they were going to know I was there either with an arrow flying or they're going to smell me and say, piss on this guy and run the hell away. Yeah. So you made a decision to be aggressive in your tactics. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So I kind of want to take a back, I want to take a backward step for a second. And I want to talk about the expectations that you had on, on the public ground that made you upset. Was it, was it strictly antler size and age class or quality, no. like the quantity of deer? Quantity. I would say quantity. Quantity. All right. So, yep. so you would go out and you wouldn't see, you wouldn't see hardly any deer. Absolutely. Okay. Did your tactics change at all at that point where you're like, okay, you, you know what? Okay. So your tactics changed. You, you decided, Hey, if I want to see more deer, I have to go where the deer are. Did that kind of change you to go mobile? It did. Okay. It did. And really overemphasizing the water access and kind of using that as an opportunity to get away from the standard, the majority of the pressure. And really, I, I would say one of my key things that I've done over the last couple of years that has allowed me to be successful. And I've seen deer every or saw deer every time I've stepped foot in the woods on public. And it has been not only it, it sounds silly and, and cliche, but thinking like a deer. Okay, well, with the majority of people hitting these fire trails, doing all the things I did back when I was younger or I was out there with my grandpa and my dad falling into the same trap of where the suit, 
you, you just start Xing off places. Well, clearly an older deer or in anything beyond just the, the dummy of the bunch is going to get pushed back further into these kind of s- s- direct areas. And rather than walk 14 miles or whatever, I started just using the boat and or kayaks and such to kind of sneak in the back door with the wind in your favor, knowing that that's what the deer are using. Cause they're so trained to people coming off these right out of those parking lots, right off these fire trails and are uh, directly off these fields to where they're pushed back in these, these other key areas that I could sneak right in behind them yeah. and use that as an opportunity to really just, you know, very few boots on the ground. It just, I got, I mean, hell when I shot my deer this year, and it was about 160 inch or scored right at 160 gross. Um, 11 point, he could see my kayak coming up the creek, which is crazy to think because he actually saw that and then turned in and walked right to me. So you shot him, you shot him from your kayak? No, oh. no, but he could see it where I had beached it. That would have oh, been really okay. great. Okay, I was going to be like. I don't know if that's illegal. I, I mean, it doesn't have a loader, but that would have been wild. That would have been, I, I, you know, I hear people shooting. I don't know if it's illegal or illegal to shoot a, I know you can't shoot them from a car, but yeah. I, I've seen some videos on YouTube of guys floating down the river in a canoe and shooting yeah. deer out of a up canoe. North? Yeah, up north. I've watched, I watched a couple of those too. I'm thinking, well, but you gotta be, I mean, I've tried to shoot fish out of the, off, off a boat and that's tough, but I can only imagine as it's moving and the deer moving, you, you definitely know how to lead an animal. <laughs> You're borderline rabbit hunting at that point with arrows. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, so let me ask you this. Um, so you started you, you you started being mobile. Is that when your thoughts of public land started to change, or did you still hate it? No. Once I became a little bit more mobile, I started enjoying it more. Okay. If not for – I didn't immediately see the deer that I, I wanted, or and that's changed just that kind of learning. Yeah. But it was the opportunity and the adventure and always seeing new pieces of woods and, and getting out of that same traditional stand idea. Yeah. So the movement kind of – so it was almost a combination, right? It wasn't just you going to private, wishing you could hunt like you did on public. It was the combination mm-hmm. of that and becoming mobile on public that allowed you to say, you know what? This isn't as bad as I thought it was. It's exactly what it was. Okay. Just the excitement. Every, every hunt being slightly different than the one before yeah. adds a, a new feel and exciting feel. It's just like walking a new piece of property. You yeah. get a new piece of property on, on private or public for that matter, you are fired up when you just get to see a new sign, you stumble upon a good rub or a scrape line or whatever that looks like, your heart's racing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was that learning curve like? for you when you decided to maybe get a little little mobile did you fail a lot i did i did i went the first couple of years out on public land but i mean I, it was a lot of the same i mean i may see deer more often than not you know I, I was getting blown out of the woods i'd hear them before i ever see them and they're just you know blowing and stomping and they're like crap and uh and then just adjusting for tactics from there yeah yeah so what, tell me, tell me what that learning curve was like. It, it really, I, I don't. I guess the biggest thing is just paying attention to access. Yeah. Access and your wind is key to everything, and, and it's like a lot of your whiteboards you're doing right now. I mean, you, you really hit on the, the nail on the head when you're with those 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 
those uh, whiteboard you know sessions you're doing because at the end of the day, public or private, if you don't have the wind in your favor or if you're walking all over every bit of their the trails you expect these deer to come across, they're going to know you're there. And uh, the ones you want to really hunt, if you're as crazy aggressive or, you know, ate up with it as we may be, uh, they're definitely going to know you're there. Yeah. And it just slowly kind of taking steps back and, oh, like, really, I, I'm the guy that writes down all my failures, or right? I go through and read through different texts on why this didn't happen. and Or going into the season, I'm looking at this stand location or wherever I might have hunted. And think, where did all the, you know, if I look at all these different times I was out here on this generator, where were the deer kind of tracking from? And then using that in my favor to, you know, maybe adjust for the next set. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of elaborate on what you said on these whiteboard uh, things, a lot of it has to do with, you know, obviously mobility, right? I mean, we all mm-hmm. know if, if you've listened to one podcast or if you've listened to all of the podcasts that I've put out, it is about being mobile, right? You have to, you have to think, mm-hmm. you have to get away from the ladder, wow. you know, just to elaborate real quick on the white, the whiteboard whitetails is that, um, you, you nailed most of it, but I just want to real quick say that I feel like if a guy doesn't have the right wind on a specific area, he tends to back out of it. I just feel like, there's always multiple places to hunt within that area, right? You know, like a guy, and I think, I think a lot of people learn this eventually, but you know, it's like, okay, well I got this deer coming out or there's a specific bedding area on this Ridge. And, 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 you know, in order for me to get from, you know, from bedding to food, I got to hunt on a Northwest wind when, you know, I think there's definitely other opportunities out there. Like, so, you know, if a, if a Northwest, and that's the trick. Yeah think if guys would realize especially bow hunters it, it takes the bow hunter the, to your to your point it takes the guy that sits back or gal or whatever sits back and watches deer walk by just out of range enough that they're finally like hey to be mobile doesn't necessarily mean i have to go 100 200 300 yards it may mean i go 20 or 30 yards yeah. and i've shot and had uh, opportunities that have worked out in my favor just because of that i mean you could see one stand location to the other one tree to the other just kind of zeroing in because that's the travel path so I need to get closer to or kind of manipulate my wind a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. Um, so kind of going back to, you know, so, so obviously mobile, right. You've learned how to be mm-hmm. mobile. You've learned how to think on the fly, not only from a strategy standpoint, but how, how much of that was a thought process change? All of it. Yeah. Just and it's just getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and just deciding that I'm going to be as aggressive. And, and that's the fun, like you said, or, or the fearlessness of, of public land hunting, because if you burn an area, you know, or make a mistake, there's hundreds and thousands, you know, or thousands of other acres that you can go play with. And it's just saying, you know what, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. And whether it's maybe not October 1st, but I'll use it as an example. Maybe it's my first hunt or October 1st or, you know, my last. I'm going to go find some action and I'm going to put myself in the thick of it yeah. or I'm going to go find a bedding area and I'm going to be willing to take a little bit more risk than maybe I would if I were on a private ground where I'm just waiting for that special day or that special wind or the, yeah. you know, the one-off opportunity that that's my kill day. Every yeah. other day leading up to that's maybe nothing, but this is my kill day. Well, my mindset completely changed to where every day is now a kill day. Yeah. And 
whatever that becomes, it becomes. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to think of it, man, especially on public. Right. And I know like one thing I've kind of realized is these, these words, private and public, private and public, I feel like they're buzzwords or they're mm-hmm. word. Like I'll, I'll be honest, whenever I put the word public land in the title of a podcast episode, it performs better than if I don't. Right. So right. that, that, that just tells you, right. That, that public versus private thing is real, but I think it's in a way a charade. I feel like and this is coming from a guy who obviously doesn't hunt public land every single day during the the deer season, Mm -hmm. uh, like some. So, you know, I can see where there there would be some criticism, but I feel like if you take that one layer off, land is land. Wind is going to affect terrain regardless if it's titled something, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that this these these principles and these methods could can easily be translated into any type of scenario oh absolutely so yeah so with all that said right um why now why now do you love public ground naturally i'm a little biased because i've had success to back up some of my theories but i think it's it, it really reverts back to that this is a kill day. This is a day that I'm going to go in here for, you know, this particular, you know, maybe not this particular deer, but the, the opportunity of that deer or that size deer or that type of deer is going to be there. Right. And by, by, you know, I, I did do a fair amount of, I do a ton of cyber scouting and just because it's, I'm ate up with it, but I also did a ton of, you know, or, or a fair amount of boots on the ground scouting too, to where every hunt going in, it, it's almost like, when you get kind of ate up with cyber scouting or you get hung, get hung up with shed hunting and all of the stuff that, you know, guys could be doing now, especially with the quarantine, just getting some boots on the ground, hiking, you know, it's just hiking, yeah. but getting off the beaten path. Um, you st- I started breaking it down thinking, you know, or even with my brother a little bit, who's kind of my partner in crime thinking, okay, we have X amount of hunts next year. So we have, I've identified however many places that I want to kind of crash into. And that's my love for it. So it's almost the fact that with I've got, you know, four or five bedding areas that I've definitively found over the past, past few weeks of just looking, because what's nice is it hasn't greened up yet. So you can still see a lot of last year's sign very, and it's very easy to identify. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, well, if I have ever many hunts, then I'm going to make sure I'm going to go in here on one hunt. And I'm going to make sure I go in here on one hunt just for that opportunity potentially find a, a good deer or get on a good deer right and that's my love of it as opposed to you know the private or, i say private but when i refer to private it's very small parcels of land yeah and by all means on those parts you could kill just as many or bigger or smaller deer but you have to be a little bit more weary when you're only flirting with a you know 40 or 60 or 80 acre property yeah or you may you know you could have some negative hunting pressure on it yeah but with public once again it's the idea that my stands on my back or you know, I kind of fell into the saddle craze. I, I used to be a climber guy, um, but just got sick of the noise and, and being stuck on one particular type tree uh, that kind of steered me away from that or the hanging hunt. Um, my sticks and my, and my, you know, my platform are on my back, and everywhere I go, I'm going to have the opportunity. And my heart's going to be up, and my, I'm going to be zeroed in game on because the opportunity could or should be there. Right. Yeah. 
man, that makes a lot of sense. That makes, that makes definitely a lot of sense. So, um, are you teaching your boys now this method and to use these principles or are they still in the shotgun ladder stand mode? They're still shotgun ladder stand. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to, I have to get a little bit more, or I want to be a little bit more comfortable leaving them on their own. Um, and I think they're about two, you know, my youngest is, he's probably closer in all honesty, because he's been doing a lot more turkey hunting with me in the years past where it's kind of, you know, you get a little bit of running gun aspect to that, uh, and all, but I, they haven't really showed me yet that I could be comfortable leaving them kind of on their own, especially with, with the opportunity of seeing others or just being around potentially there's that they need to be hand in hand. Yeah. I wouldn't hesitate from bringing them along with me yeah. and we buddy up together, but they're just a couple of years back to where I really kind of ran the team and say, Hey, this is going to be our approach. Yeah. And, uh, here's how, you know, here's how you can do it. And, you know, you're going to come up hiking and they do a little bit of scouting, but like, here's going to be your approach. When I drop you off here, you're going to go in here and, and pick out or a tree or, you know, if you want to hunt off the ground, whatever that looks like. Yeah. You know, I think this, this whole thought of the mobile style of hunting has really changed in the past five, 10 years. Right. Uh, I think, there, I think there was a, a lot of guys who were, were doing it already. But now through technology, right, we're like this podcast I'm, and having this conversation with you, I'm able to tell your story, talk about being mobile to the masses. And the, the thing that I am anxious to see is if this trend continues, right, right, like right now the saddle trend is really hot. So obviously mm-hmm. that that is more mobile. But my whole thought process on this is there's going to be a lot of dangerous killers out there. And what I mean by that is if I had, let's just say if I had myself teaching myself how to hunt at 14, 15, 16 years old and not being in, you know, going through (laughs) that, that ladder stand craze, you know what I mean? Like, I I would be dangerous. I would be dangerous right now. Right. Yeah. Where, you know, and I'm starting to, to every year I feel like I get better and better and better. But if you cut, if you put me where I was at when I was 25, you know, I'm, I'm 39 now, but if I was thinking this way at 25, man, you you start putting these young kids in this mentality that some of the older guys had, had to learn the hard way. And now they're having kids Mm -hmm. and teaching kids how to do that, man, there are going to be a ton of great hunters coming out of the woodworks in the next in the next 10 years you know what i mean well and you know to that point i could piss off a lot of outfitters this way but you know i i so i shot my deer in indiana and tagged out in indiana on october 13th well i have that whole rutcation week off you know or that that november week off and had just decided okay well i have the week off the wife you know my wife's awesome and she allows me to do what i love so i'm gonna go you know a state or two away and took an opportunity, took my same kind of aggressive mindset and just pack them up and go find, you know, good, go find good hot sign and get on it, whatever that looks like. So in this case, I uh, went to Missouri and you, know, you start thinking about it. And in the years past, I would look at an outfitter. I would look at this, oh, $2,000, I could go hunt and yeah, I'll get fed and have some lodging and they'll put me on deer. And I said, you know, why would I spend that kind of money where I could get a tag for 250 bucks and I'll just go make it happen. 
and stay in a, you know, and one, one night I stay in a crappy motel and then the other night I sat in the bed of my truck and just enough where I get a shower and stay, you know, relatively fresh to the woods. But I was like, you don't need to go pay a big outfitter to get, put you on deer. If you keep a, a good open, you know, if you use your woodsman type skills, you can go find them anywhere. Yeah. And, and if nothing else, it's, you're going for broke by yourself. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, that's what really changed. I have looked in for years past because I wanted a big deer. I want to, you know, I want that buckhead on my wall or whatever that is. I would look at outfitters and think if I could save enough money to pay this guy to put me on a deer to where, you know, when, when the last couple of years of just changing my mindset and going more aggressive and more mobile and, and, uh, and, and healthy and other people do it. Like you said, through technology and, and everything else, I'm like, I can do this. Yeah. I, can, I can go find, you know, I can find a good rub line or, you know, a good heavy beaten beaten path, and just get out of my comfort zone and go do it. Yeah, and, and worked out great. Yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and chit chat with us. Um, good luck during ch- turkey season. Good luck in the upcoming uh, deer season, and uh, we'll have to chat again. Absolutely, you too, Dan. Really appreciate you having me on. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is come, has come, is coming, is going, it is ending, it's over, it's over, God, I'm so tired, it's not even funny, but this episode is over, huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, the Average Conservationist, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Wasp Archery, and Ozonic Scent Elimination, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, and we will... Uh, I guess we'll catch you next time, right? Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please follow. Please comment. Please share. Please do all those things. Get outside. Enjoy yourself. And remember, even though we're in quarantine, 2020 is still about giving back.